Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to What a Movie, a nostalgia-infused podcast. We are your hosts. I'm James Ferrero. And I am Nicole Knudsen. And how are we feeling today? Oh, um, you know, pretty good, I think, actually. Pretty solid. Um, at least for myself, uh, work has begun to pick up again a little bit. For those of you who aren't aware, I don't know why you would be, uh, I work as a standardized patient, so a lot of that work has been online, if at all, over the last year, for obvious reasons. And um, for listeners who do not know, what is a standardized patient? Well, I'm glad you asked, Nicole. <laughs> uh, a standardized patient, or an SP, is basically an actor who's given a case to study of a, of a patient with varying different... Um, medical needs, whether it's a physical, emotional, a combination of everything, and they're meant to test med students while, while they're in school. So it could be anything from doing a routine physical and getting all of the, the little bits right that are important, or it could be about how to talk to a patient who might have some sort of emotional wall that they've put up or some issue that they're dealing with and how to do it in a sensitive way and a way to make them feel like they're being taken care of. So, uh, Helps with the bedside manner, but um, it's really awesome. I've done it for a few years. Um, I love it. The students are always really great. Uh, but yeah, so that work has started up again over the last couple of weeks. So there's been a lot more of that. So I've been much more active than I've been over the last year, which has been nice. What about you, Nicole? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Um, it's very exciting. Um, so we are recording this almost two weeks after we recorded the most recent episode of Wild Wild West. And the less said about that, the better. Excuse me while I go vomit. Um, but anyway, uh, that means, you know, enough time has passed since I, I mentioned at the top of that episode that I was later in the week going to be getting my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Woo. I Yes, woo. And I have gotten my second dose and tomorrow we're finally gonna have two fully vaccinated friends over and we i i'm tired today that because i was out running some errands partly for that momentous occasion and also cleaning the apartment um so i i'm I'm a little sleepy, but for a very good reason. <laughs> the reasons that we're all excited about that we've been waiting for. And it helps that these two people are two of our nearest and dearest friends who we have talked to online and done social distance picnics with. But, you know, it's just not the same. It's really not. And um, this will be the the first people who are not the Terminex service person. As or, nice as that guy was. Or, you know our landlord popping in to like check on something who's also um, very nice who's also very nice these are all very nice people but you know it all of those encounters have been fraught with oh no i gotta grab my mask and like please thank you for being great at your job but also please get out of my apartment because we're in a pandemic and now the four of us will be fully vaccinated and we can just have dinner with friends. Which is why we're recording this tonight, because tomorrow we will be eating, drinking, and being merry. Yes. Lots of all three of those things. So yeah, I'm... I believe we've timed this out perfectly with our ice cream truck friend that goes through the neighborhood. Yes, you may be hearing an ice cream truck outside. You may have just heard a plane fly over. Um... 
It's they are all... intent on ruining this podcast, and we will not let them. We should start having um, background noise bingo for the listener. Ice cream truck, airplane, helicopter. The center, the center square will have to be base. The, no, the elephants upstairs because uh, I don't yes, know yes, that yes. Uh, our upstairs neighbors. That's just going to be a free square because that is almost always going to be. Um, <laughs> be making an appearance on their show anyway speaking of the show where we talk about movies that we haven't seen in a long time uh and revisit them with you dear listener or not maybe we are your cue as to whether or not you should revisit them but what are we revisiting tonight james well i won't mention this episode anymore but it did serve as a lead-in from the last time this is another movie starring Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh, albeit safe to say a much better one. We will be watching The Road to El Dorado tonight, straight out of the year 2000. Also meaning this is our first movie, not in the 90s. I thought it was from 99. Oh, I guess that would make sense since the, the movie that shall not be named was from 1999. Um, We're like just getting on the precipice right yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, yes, The Road to El Dorado, which I... Just know right off the bat is going to be a much, much more pleasant experience to rewatch than the last time we sat down to record the show. So do you have a history with this movie? I do. Um, so this I remember, I don't know if we went to go see it in theaters or not, but I know that we had the clamshell VHS case and this was, you know, I think on a decent rotation in our house um again it you know per my history uh which you have already begun to hear about on this podcast animated films featuring people when i was little wasn't always my jam it was more like you know i wanted talking animals in my uh cinematic experiences but this was always um always a fun one um have you know i remember really enjoying it and i'm very curious and excited to revisit it now, just knowing sort of what I know now about the film and like just memes or or just references to the movie that I've seen in the intervening years of like, I'm, I'm fully aware that there's a lot of stuff that went way over my head um, that were more... <laughs> For the grown-ups watching the movie. Oh, um, boy. But uh, I'm... Which is, you know, that that's what the best, I think, quote, kids movies do, where it it's exciting and a, a really good time for the kids, but there's also, it, it never dumbs down the story. And I think this is one of those movies. And also you have, this is really kind of random, but the soundtrack is by Elton John also. Never a bad choice, <laughs> like in, our, a, in our opinion. Yeah, you may disagree, but we really like it. It's like, Elton okay, John you have here. this film that is almost entirely set in South America, and you have a lot of the score, or at least the songs, written by a white British man. But I guess the same was true for The Lion King, which is set in Africa. So, you know what? Never mind. Anyway, I remember very much enjoying this movie. And again, one of the few non-Disney films that was on with some regularity. And yeah, great soundtrack. I love this movie. I remember seeing this in theaters I've seen it, I don't know how many times. I remember me and my best friend growing up both loved this movie. We watched it at like sleepovers, probably ad nauseum. 
We would quote it endlessly. I still quote this movie to this day all the time. I think that off the top of my head, I can't really think of a list right now, but this is definitely one of my favorite non-Disney animated movies. And that, like, one, I think it's very well done. I think it's beautifully animated. It's excellently cast. And it has a very high rewatch value. Because there are, like... That's the great thing about these non-Disney animated movies is that, like you said, where you can do those jokes that are a little more risque that Disney will not get close to. That are a little bit blue. <laughs> a little bit. And this this movie definitely goes for that. But I, yeah. It, I did not realize, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I didn't realize that this was so, that your esteem for this film was so, so high. The more that I've thought about it, because I've also I haven't watched this movie beginning to end in a very long time. But I have a very, very nostalgic, close place in my heart for it. Um, I'm sure if I thought about it, I'm sure after I watch it tonight, like I'll find some quibbles and things here and there that I can nitpick at. But overall, like, it's a movie that just, it hits on all the things. But what I was going to say was about um, not typically non-Disney animated movies. You see they can be a little more risque. They can go for those things, whether it's darker, whether the humor is a little more blue, things that Disney won't do. And... Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's kind of like whatever, but I can't think of too many of those that have such a high rewatch value. Um, off the top of my head, I'm just thinking like, um, like no one can doubt something like An American Tale is a fantastically made, beautifully made film that gets much darker than Disney would probably ever go. It's also a very sad, depressing movie that you don't exactly sit around and you're like, I'm going to watch American Tale right now. I'm in a good mood. Like, it's not really how that goes but Rodel Dorado would be like you know hey I need something fun and upbeat that's not going to take too much of my brain power but is clever enough and witty enough that I can just go along with it um but that's what this is so and I think a lot of that does come from the cast overall is phenomenal I mean I love Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh in general as actors and so putting them together and having them record together which is a rare thing to do in animation but it always makes a difference and you hear it when you hear these two. And it's just, I love this movie. I I, I have nothing bad to say off the top of my head. <laughs> I don't think I do either. Um, so I, I think I, I may know the general ballpark of your answer to this, but on a scale of one to 10, how well do we remember the plot? Oh, very well. Yeah. Very well. So like the plot is pretty nine, straightforward. Ten, not, just, yeah. It's not, it's not too complex of a plot. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I I'd say mine is probably like a seven or an eight. Like again, I I remember like the main arc. I'm sure there's some details that I'm forgetting, but we start off with um, Tulio and Miguel, who are con men, Mm -hmm. uh, and they get caught. They are they are from Spain, and they are basically arrested and sent to work in like a sugar plantation or something. They're basically sent to They're shipped off with Cortez. Yeah, they're shipped off with Cortez to go to the Americas and who Cortez is there to find El Dorado, the city of the fabled city of gold. And El Dorado. Sorry. It's, it's <laughs> we'll, hard to hear we'll the there. name without yeah, like it's so singing good. it. And I forget how they get separated from Cortez, but they find the city of El Dorado and are mistaken for a pair of gods. And they are, because their con men are rolling with it and it goes well for a while until they get found out because they 
start one of them like gets a nosebleed or like has a cut and then it's like wait a minute gods don't bleed and then they try to save El Dorado from Cortez and that's it's basically by cutting it off from the rest of the world yeah I think that pretty much nails yeah. it on the head there's some 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 little things in there that I'm sure I'm forgetting, but... There's also, on, on on the subject of casting as well, aside from our leads, and also Rosie Perez as well, doing fantastic work, you get Edward James Olmos and Armand Asante as, like, two of, like, the elders in, in El Dorado, basically, and who just counter each other perfectly. They're both fantastic actors, and they just bring such... I mean... I mean, almost always brings such a great dignity to whatever he's doing. He's just a fantastic actor. And Armand Asante, as I recall, is the villain. And he just goes for it. He he chews whatever scenery is there. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm all for it, man. I, I am realize, all for it. I mean, I guess that would make sense because I did not know who Edward James almost was when I was watching this as a kid. Um but I didn't know that he was in it. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's, yeah, the cast is absolutely phenomenal. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, um, God. So what, uh, what grades are we going to give this while looking at this through our nostalgia-tinted glasses? I'm just going to go for an A+. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say I was going to hedge it a little bit, but no. I'm going to listen to my heart and follow my heart. To get, quote the chaos. Get out of here, Giacomo. If you follow your heart, you will give it an A+. If you haven't listened to our Thumbelina episode, uh, you will understand that reference. Uh, I think... I have a feeling this might bump up after the rewatch. I'm going to give it a B+, because again, wasn't at the forefront, at least from what I can recall, of films that were watched on repeat, um, but I do remember it being really great, and I don't think that, you know, nine-year-old Nicole fully appreciated how great it was. So I'm going to say a B plus, and we're going to see where we go from there. I will leave with, I just remembered this too, how even the name, The Road to El Dorado, I, I believe is a deep, deep, deep cut into into film history for any of you folks out there who can remember the road movies of the 1940s and 50s with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Um, it's very much in that style of like, you know, two buddies, con men having some sort of relationship who go to some locale and, you know, some crazy stuff happens. So it's like they're following that format so perfectly here, which I think is why it holds up. And it's a, it's, it's a tried and true format, I think. So I just wanted to little... Little uh, little line in there. It's like one of those old movies does have the great line, oh, come on, when they're dead, they're dead. Not Aunt Lucy. She was a Republican. <laughs> but anywho, that's all for me. Okay. Um, do we know what we're going to be drinking during this movie? I'm, I'm, I'm not, not sure, sure that... Actually. I don't know either. We will let you know when we come back. So if this is your first time tuning in, um, welcome. Thank you. Um... We are going to take a break. We are going to rewatch The Road to El Dorado. If you would like to watch along with us, feel free to pause and come back to the rest of the episode once you have also rewatched or maybe watched for the very first time uh, this classic DreamWorks picture from 2000. Or, you know, don't. We're going to recap it for you anyway. Man, back when DreamWorks was good. Oof. They're, they're good. Uh, yeah, I guess they did get better. Yeah. They went through. They went through a weird phase. It ain't Shark Tale, that's for sure. 
like, don't you come at How to Train Your no, Dragon. No, 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 that no, not series. at all. Not I love at all. those movies. Not at all. I'm so sorry. I forgot they have kind of re-legitimized themselves. They, I think they started out strong. They had a weird period, and now they're back at it. So, yeah. good they, work, DreamWorks. They went through a rough patch, which haven't we all? Oh, I'm sorry. One last thing. I do remember seeing this poster recently when I was at... Uh, I was at Universal Studios and it was like going through like they're doing like DreamWorks Theater where they have like the it's like a Kung Fu Panda show now um, or something. And I was like in the queue for that and going through it. And, you know, it's like all very heavily like, you know, it's either Kung Fu Panda or Shrek. Those are like the big, you know, things. And, you know, they're the big hits. And so that's what most of the kids like understand. But like on the queue, they will have posters from from like all of their movies, including things like spirit stallion of the cimarron you know and all these like random old ones are like oh yeah and this was always there and i would always get so happy when i would pass by it and just be like i wonder like the kids going in for this ride do they even know this movie i have no idea i hope they do anyway we will be back soon to discuss the road to el dorado but until then we bid you farewell I was 10 years old again for about an hour and a half, and I have to say, it made me very happy. Um, I mentioned this as we were watching, but it's one of those things where, like, having not seen it in such a long time, I, I don't know that I could have quoted most of the movie to you without having rewatched it, but as soon as scenes started unfolding and, like, as people were saying the words, it all came flooding back to me of, like, wait a minute, I do remember this dialogue. I do remember this scene. Oh, my God. It was a nice combination of I had a lot of lines that I remembered that, like, I knew were coming, but then there were so many that I forgot about that would happen, and I was like, there it is. Okay, um, before we dig into this, um, we both uh, decided to partake in some Modelo's. Uh, some For those of you that don't know, it's a little known little craft brew called <laughs> Modelo. Uh, you know, the movie almost entirely takes place in what is supposed to be Central America, so why not some beers from Mexico? <laughs> I snuck in a little whiskey too. Oh, yes, that too. But don't tell anybody. But mostly Mexican beer. Um, So that's what we were uh, partaking in during the rewatch of this film. And again, what a fun time. I do want to address one thing in the sort of pre-rewatch recap that I did that I got sort of wrong. Mm -hmm. I totally forgot that they wind up on Cortez's ship purely because of shenanigans. I thought that they got caught and arrested and they just wind up in a barrel. Well, you were sort of right about the caught and arrested part. It just happened later. Yes. Because I remember them being like in sort of, you know, portable stocks, like, you know, the the, you know. Portable stocks. Put them in the town square and it's the sort of, you know, the wooden encasing thing that you know locks around their neck and and their hands uh so i remember that so i thought oh they've been arrested and they're as punishment being sent to the americas 
No, um, it's just shenanigans. No, it's just shenanigans. Um, I just wanted to get that out of the way. But yeah, we we both of us remember this movie very, very well. <sighs> that was fun. That was really fun. I think um, this, as with most of um, most of these episodes, we are going to talk about things in no particular order. The first thing at the top of my mind is we wanted to discuss the music in yeah in the movie a little bit yeah, and yeah, yeah. i'm gonna let you lead unless oh, okay want, uh, or unless you want oh, me no, to start no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll go right ahead <laughs> or i could just i could say like because i mentioned during the movie as we were watching i had a question about it hmm. and my question was was this originally intended to be more of an out and out musical because every song except for one is sung by elton john the only song, like, they do have a song in the middle. It's the, like, It's Tough to Be a God that is sung by Kenneth mm-hmm. Branagh and Kevin Klein. And I had the thought of, you know, was this at some point in the development process intended to have them be singing more of it? Because it's a little odd. That would be an interesting point. I would need to look that up. I don't know off the top of my head, but you did just remind me this was a... A kind of weirdly similar thing with a movie set a little bit south of here. Um, for those of you who know about The Emperor's New Groove, how that was originally pitched as this very big, epic, sort of serious movie with songs, kind of like a la Lion King-esque, um, that went through various spots of development hell. And eventually they did away with all of that and did more of the kind of like bit movie that it became, which we are both huge fans of, by the way. But how I believe it was Sting did the music for that. Only one of his songs I forgot about made it that. in. He wrote an entire soundtrack of songs and only one made it into the final film. And it's the sort of power the ballad kind during of power the power ballad, yeah, at the end. So it's like, so I wonder, like, that, it, it was a weirdly similar story to that. I feel like this one was always intended with this kind of humor and this kind of, you know, feeling behind it. But I would need to look that up because I have other... I have similar feelings about the music. I don't know if you wanted to say more about that before I go into it or. No, I, that was sort of my main question because it's, you know, the things that you don't really think about when you're watching it as a kid of why are these, you're establishing that these characters are singing in this one song and nowhere else. And why is that? Why is that happening? So I, I don't know, maybe it was just like kind of the theme of that time because it's around this time that you also have like Tarzan coming out, which is very much the same thing, except insert, uh, you know, replace Elton John with Phil Collins, um, where it's, but there are also characters who sing in the movie, but most of the songs and the musical score is done by kind of a third party, like an outside observer or an outside voice who is removed from the action and is sort of serving as a musical narrator. Maybe that was just what was in vogue during the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, And I mean, Elton John is a great musician and a great songwriter, and I really enjoyed all of the songs. I do wonder just tonally if they fit the world Mm -hmm. that has been established. That sort of my, I don't even know if I can call it a critique, because I guess you could say the same thing for, like, the songs in The Lion King, um, where it's very kind of a, a, you know, 
either Broadway-esque or like a show tune-esque type song and sort of the 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 cultural like time and place that could have influenced the music gets a little lost. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I don't know if it helps to build up the world, but they're very catchy. That's what I have to say on that. <laughs> all right. Um, okay, so here's here, here's my take on all of that. And this is starting, I'm going to kind of be bouncing around on this. I'll try to keep it somewhat focused. But basically, as a lot of you probably know, starting in the 90s, specifically the early 90s, probably most specifically with The Lion King, with Elton John's music in there, which was a new thing to bring in an already famous pop star to be doing your songs and some, in, in a big animated movie. Um, now that was a big hit. We know all those songs. I'm also personally a fan of those songs. I enjoy them. I know people that are a little ambivalent on some of them and I can understand why. And it's cause you're getting into this area of like, okay, it's not exactly like a Broadway musical per se, where it's like you're focusing on each scene. It is more of these like ballads that, you know, some connect really well with what's going on. Some don't. Um, for the most part, I think the Lion King nailed it. So I'll, I'll, I'll give that one. I'll say like, Hey, you did it. But as with anything in this business, once you do something successfully, once everybody wants to do the same thing. So this became a thing throughout the rest of the nineties into the two thousands, the power ballad, which some were great. Some were like, whatever, but yes, Phil Collins, most infamous for doing it in Tarzan and which, in brother bear. And then um, we'll get, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but Yes, but but first doing it in Tarzan, which once again was one that some people really enjoyed the music. I also personally enjoyed most of the music in that. But I also know there's a contingent of people who don't like the sort of... It started becoming a little more literal, I feel. It almost became more of like, I'm going to tell you what's going on in the scene, but through song. And for a lot of people, they would see that and be like, I'm watching the scene, but yet I'm hearing someone singing to me being like, this is what's happening. He's in love. And you're like, I know he's in love, but like, why are you telling me that? So like, it was getting into a weird, like kind of like weird territory. Now, personally, I like Phil Collins as a musician. I like his music. I liked his music for that. I was very taken in. And I also, yeah, I mean, he's, he's also a drummer by trade. So he brings a lot of that to it. May I, I don't want to interrupt, but just a counterpoint. Isn't that the purpose of all musical scores is to cue the audience into what the feeling is. If it's just a score, there's no lyrics Mm -hmm. and it can't be so on the nose, but I just want to present that as an option. That's fair. And I think it, I think for, this is purely a subjective thing for people. I mean, you could get a room of people who will disagree on this and say, I thought it was too obvious. People thought, no, I thought it was well done. Because you could say that like something like, can you feel the love tonight is, you know, very much like, right, they're falling in love. We get it. But do we buy that scene? I mean, I do personally. I think it's a lovely scene. And it's like, is it a little on the nose? Like, maybe, but also it serves to move the plot along. So I'm like, okay, I'm fine with that. You get to things like Tarzan, it starts to get a little more in. It's not the characters talking. It's Phil Collins basically like leaning over your shoulder, almost being like, do you know that he loves her? And it's like, okay, maybe it's a little on the nose. And I understand why people wouldn't like that. Me personally, it doesn't really affect me. I know it's a little, eh, it's in that weird territory, but I'm, I'm okay with it. Now, to bounce ahead, we get to this. This is after Tarzan and all that. They bring back Elton John. This is not a Disney movie. And they put the music in this. 
And I have a fond nostalgia for these songs. Like they came up and the music came up and I was like, oh, I'm going right back to that time. This is great. So the nostalgia part of me was all for it. But the logical 31 year old part of myself was sitting here being like, okay, like, are all of these songs necessary? Aside from like, I would say like the opening, I think is great. Like the opening the title song. opening is gorgeous. Is, is is beautiful. And then, but we get to things later, like the It's Tough to Be a God scene, which is a strange musical number in what's not a musical, which felt a little like, okay, like, which was weird. And I was like, that's one part I was like, oh, that would have been interesting to say, like, what are they going to be like at this mm-hmm. ceremony for the first time, Fish Out of Water? And they kind of put it into a very lushly well-animated sequence, but feels a little like we just have to get this out of the way. Yeah. We're going to give them a song. Also, it's strange because I don't know their... I, I, I know Kevin Klein was Pirates of Penzance. He's a talented singer by all means. I don't know Kenneth Branagh's singing experience, but they both sound a little not quite comfortable in that moment which is very odd then to give them a song yeah i almost wonder like what the decision was to give that song to them rather than having it having some version it be continue to be sung by our musical narrator elton john uh because you could still have that same kind of montage sequence of this festival on the day that they arrive Mm -hmm. um and convey the same thing i don't know you could say that, like, if you took the music out of this movie, would it make a difference? And knowing the movie as well as I do, I would notice it was gone. But also, if you said, does it add much to the plot? I would say, no, not really. I mean, it's very lovely to listen to, and Elton John is an amazing musician. But it, does, it, it doesn't really do much to move the story forward. It just is kind of like, telling me, he's like, he is happy now. Maybe this is what he should do. And it's like... Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm I'm looking at that right now. You're not really progressing it. You're just kind of telling me what I already know. I I agree for certain songs and would disagree on others. Um, which songs would you disagree on? I'm curious. I think aside from the opening, which I we, anything, we can both agree is really well done. Yeah, the opening song. I think anything that in order to convey like a large passage of time. And, like, I'm thinking specifically of um, when they're first trying to find El Dorado. And, you know, it's like the, that's the a trail good one. we blaze. That's a, that, that's of a like, good one. I like that. It's, it's to cover the passage of time in an I, interesting way. And I think also in an, a similar but a more emotional way of um, when Miguel is exploring the city and he's falling in love with the city. To a certain point, yes, I agree. I think that all, all the songs leading up to when they get to El Dorado very well put like those make sense they move the story along the miguel song yes i think i think it's it's very beautifully done i like the song i like listening to it i have a connection to it and i think that it does serve a purpose could you get rid of it i would argue yes i think that would be okay and i would probably still be all right nothing before they get to el dorado i would say no you need to keep that now i think that's probably the best song once they get to El Dorado, mm-hmm. the It's Tough to Be a God song, a little weird, a little awkward. You can probably get rid of that. The Friends Never Say Goodbye song, it's a beautiful song, but it just, that's a different issue, which we'll get into later because of where it's coming in and what's going on in the movie at that point. But we'll get to that. Yeah, maybe it works because that particular song is less on the nose. Like, it's a love song. Like, if you mm-hmm. listen to the lyrics, it's 
it's not about a city. It's not like you could pull it completely out of context. And I'm it sorry, was, which, which song is this? Uh, the one where Miguel is exploring the okay, city. Yeah. Um, I I forget the name of it, but it's about like you know I never believed in anything until you, and it's like it's he, he's just so filled with wonder. And I think that that is a nice companion mm. to that series of scenes. And I actually think that that Friends Never Say Goodbye song could work even better in a certain context. We will get to that and I will wait until we get there and then I'll cover that. But I'll put a pin in that. Uh, but to wrap up my weird long point about all this, everyone, um, this was the early 2000s. This was done as we got into the early 2000s. They still tried to do this a little bit more. Mostly with Phil Collins, like I said, he did Brother Bear, which I myself am not a fan of the movie or the songs. I like Brother Bear. (laughs) I know you do. I don't. And this is also might have just been a thing where it's like the movies I mentioned before are ones I was younger growing up with. So I have a deeper nostalgic connection to them. By the time Brother Bear came out, I don't really have a nostalgic connection to that movie. I saw it and I didn't really... I just, I, I, it just didn't hit with me. I just wasn't a fan. And once again, I love Phil Collins. The music was beautiful in its own right, on its own, really well done music, of course. Now, did that add to the story of that? I would argue no. I feel that's when they jumped the shark and it became a little bit more about like, there's something I need to tell you. Did I tell you how I killed you, mom? <laughs> like, it's just like, okay, we know, we know, we get it. Anywho, that's my long diatribe on that and on the music. So, yes. Is there any other kind of big general thing that you want to talk about before I start digging into my notes? Because there's some specific stuff that Mm -hmm. I either just want to mention because it was great or it made me think or question something. I Um, think we have a lot of the same things, so I'll I'll let you get into that. I can't think of anything. Oh, I I did want to mention, I always knew this was part of the movie. It's part of the reason why I really liked it and... It's that feeling of this rubbery, fun animation in this movie, this kind of bit late in animation, which is very reminiscent of like, um, I would say like early Looney Tunes cartoons of just this sort of like really exaggerated comedy driven animation. This is, you know, for Disney kind of made it more story driven. And then I think ironically enough, Disney eventually probably took from this movie a lot for things like Tangled later, which they kind of added in more of a cartoonish fun Mm -hmm. element. And I just have to say, like, looking back, this movie is 21 years old, and this animation is just a beautiful combination of, one, having extremely beautiful vistas and colors, and it's vibrant, and it just, like, it puts you right in that world, and you you don't doubt it for a second, and this amazing, hilarious comic animation of these bits and these characters and these little fast takes and these bump, 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 these almost, like, Looney Tunes-esque gaps that are going on, which... You didn't get a lot of it this time. I feel like a lot of animation was trying to be very grandiose and very big and very epic. And this had no problem with... They dip into that a little bit, but for the most part, it's just... It's really getting the comic animation down, which I think is even harder to do. And make it funny. And make you laugh along with it. to To make comic animation that really sings. And I think this movie did that so well and i can't think of a lot of other movies around this time that managed to get that timing and pace as well as and it starts off that way and it just goes it never really lets up arguably maybe till the end a little bit but for like the first hour of the movie it's just a constant barrage so i did want to say that yeah 
as a mild tangent off of that before I dig into trying to decipher the chicken scratch of my notes, this movie is carried by Kenneth Branagh and Kevin Klein's rapport that oh they have. God, it's like just... it's they they have a really great banter that is built into the script to work with and uh, just as you mentioned before, like the fact that they recorded this in the studio together, which is not common, is just you can feel it. You can hear it, you can feel it and you know, considering that they are the the two leads of the film and it is all about their relationship as friends at the at the core of it that like really makes the movie shine in what could have fallen much more flat if they yeah if those characters fall flat we don't care we don't care about them and thus the movie is rendered sort of meaningless but i agree i think that like i always enjoyed hearing them i enjoyed it even more now hearing their their rapport back and forth and even now being older and you know having been an actor now for a number of years and sort of hearing what they were doing i was like what's amazing is like yes they get off their quips they're funny they have their lines and all that but like it's rare in animation when you can hear two actors really listening to one another and really almost like setting each other up for like all right i'm gonna have this bit here and i'm gonna give you the build up for this and you hit it boom and like you can hear them just kind of alley-ooping to each other back and forth and it's so i mean for anyone out there who's an actor, you probably heard like, you know, like the best kind of actors are the best listeners. And that is not an overstatement. That is the complete and honest truth. And if you watch these two, they're listening to each other the whole way through, even though they are portraying two dimensional animated figures on a screen. You believe that they're in the same room because they're in the same room, but also because they're listening to one another throughout. It's not just like, I have a funny line. I have a funny line. Ha ha ha. Like, that's what a lot of stuff comes down to, and it's just about who can out funny the other. But rarely do you get two actors who genuinely listen to each other as well as these two do. That's all I have to say, though. But I will let you continue on. I want to talk a little bit about the... You know, this movie is a very fun romp. Lots of action, lots of adventure, lots of comedy. I do want to talk about the thing that is kind of underlying the historical time period of this film that is not i can't even say that it's really like referenced too heavily as far as like the really really dark murderous history that is the start of the colonizing of the american continent Mm -hmm. um but it's it's present in a way that kind of covers up some plot holes and i first had the thought like it opens um you know once we uh, get past the opening song which is introducing el dorado as a city and it says you know spain 1519 or whatever it is and how a lot of the action starts is tulio and miguel are you know rolling they're gambling with their loaded dice And in order to try to win all of his money back, the dude that they're gambling against is like, hey, I have this map to the city of gold in the new world. And I had the thought, wait a minute, how do they, why does this random dude have it? But it's like, oh yeah, the genocidal maniac Christopher Columbus has already been to the Americas. And this is imperial plunder. And 
Yikes. Oh, wow. You dug into that a lot deeper than I had. I was just, oh, it's a plot point to be so we can move along. I mean, it is, but I was, you know, as with most plot holes, I'm trying to rationalize it. But, like, there is this very, very insidious reason for why this artifact would exist in Spain. And also, uh, flash uh, fast-forwarding to the end of the movie, where... It is very quickly determined once they realize that Cortez is on his way to El Dorado. And immediately Tulio and Miguel are like, you can't fight them. And they know that for a fact because they are from Spain and they have heard what has happened to the people that Cortez encounters and people like Cortez. And it's just... it. In this family-friendly action-adventure romp, there is no place for that to address that kind of horror, but it's like, you know, your best course of action is to hide. Yeah, basically. Is to make sure that no one can ever find this city, because you will not win. And that's something that I feel, if you say there was a movie from 2000, a family-friendly animated romp that, you know, featured the conquistadors in Central America... That would sound really like, ooh, how's that going to go? And I have to say, this movie does present, I'll I'll start with the the character of Cortez, who is a very small part in this and is really just there to be that looming threat. And I I do have to credit the film with not, like, trying to cast any kind of positive light on him or try to make it into, like, you know, oh, he's a misunderstood explorer. It's like... No, he's a straight-up conqueror who's going to come to kill y'all. Yeah. And they don't let up on that. They don't give him any sense of, like, oh, he's kind of funny, though, and he's kind of disarming. Like, he is straight-up like, I am here to kill, and I'm here to kill right now. And, and I'm it's here like, for gold, and I will he presents, destroy anything and anybody who gets in my he way. He presents the ultimate threat that arguably Cortez was, and I think we can all agree he was. And they don't try to lighten him up or shy away from that at all, which is something that I feel... If Disney had done this, they would have tried to do. They would have tried to lighten it up a little bit or make him into more of a buffoon or make him into kind of this like, you know, you get kind of a Pocahontas thing, right? If it's like, he's the conqueror, but he's kind of this big blustery kind of kind of guy. But instead, you get this character who is terrifying, who is just straight up the way they shoot him, the way they light him and animate him. He, like, just from the get-go, there is no joking around. There's no kind of blusteriness or funniness about this character. He's just straight up like, I'm going to kill y'all. And you're like, this is dark, but is appropriate. We need that. Yeah, I am... When when we decided to rewatch this, I was a little afraid that it was going to be, like, the white savior trope. And it's like, how is that? I don't remember how this was handled because I don't recall... You know, I just I just wasn't aware of the of that type of thing and those layers uh, of, you know, societal and cultural conflict and history and all of that. And I was pleasantly surprised that the the colonizers were just unequivocally depicted as villains. Yeah. Which I feel is rare at this time to do in a movie. Yeah. And it was very refreshing to say. Also, on a lighter note related to that, what did I write? Typical. Couple of dumb white dudes set themselves up as gods. I mean... Typical. The man who would be king, this is a thing, like, <laughs> it's like, all right, um, this old, this old trope. Yeah, I just, that was a thought that I had, and it it walked that line of, you know, 
covering potential plot holes or it's like, oh, this is just a plot device so that they know how to find El Dorado once they wind up shipwrecked there. Um, but it's like, no, there is, based off of the time in which this is happening, they there would have been Imperial plunder mm-hmm. taken back from the Americas to Europe and those artifacts would have Mm -hmm. in theory been disseminated to some degree throughout the general populace and on that note i would like to point out that i was thinking the same thing of like you know is this gonna fall into a weird white savior dances with wolves kind of thing and it was i was like i don't remember the movie well enough to know like do they and i haven't watched it in years so like maybe they do and i just didn't notice it back then But I have to say, the film does a really good job, and this goes back to, I think, the expert job done by uh, Klein and Brana, in that you have two characters that basically throughout most of the movie when they get there, they're fake and being gods. They know what they're up to. They're enjoying the the, the heist of it. They're getting a kick out of it, of like like kind of fooling all these people. And on paper, you would think like, oh, these characters are going to come off as so unlikable, and I hate these guys. And it's like, you know they're being jerks about it, but they've managed to do it in a way that keeps you along for the ride, where it's like they're way ahead of themselves. They're like, hey, we're fooling them. This is great. Yeah, but we haven't thought ahead to this thing. Oh, that's right. Wait, what do we do? And it, it kind of like brings them back into, a, oh, they're thinking way ahead and they really don't know what they're doing. And they're just flying by the seat, the seam of their pants right now. And the seat of their pants. The seam of their pants? The seat of their pants. You see, I said seat of their pants recently, and that sounded wrong. So no. I thought seam is in, like, pants seams. No, the seat's like your, like, like your butt. Like, you can't quite sit down because you're always on your toes. We'll fix this in editing. What I'm trying to say is that instead of following up on, like, having these guys the whole time being like, maybe we should learn and try to help these people and let me be the savior... You have Miguel start to go that way, but even he has that nice, like, realization of he's just going to explore and having a good time and slowly starts to realize what's going on and isn't really in it to be a savior. He's just in it to stay there and be considered a god. Like, it's not like, I will save you. He's like, no, I'm still going to stay here and be a god. So, like, I'm not here to save you, but, gonna, I, but I do want to be here amongst you. I'm going to live off of your hospitality So he's not, he's not exactly a savior. And then Tulio isn't much better because he's just like, I want to get this gold and get my girl and get the fuck out of here. So it's like, it, it, it strides that line so finely. And I feel that it's also, I, and, and then I feel to, to, to bounce back to something I mentioned in the opening, I always liked Edward James almost in this movie. I love him even more in this movie now watching like, his subtlety in yeah. this character is just as, as the chief is incredible it's all so understated and it's so mm-hmm. great which if you want to for those of you that don't know if you want to sum up edward james almost in a sentence he would say understated but great this guy has made a career on being the most understated but efficient actor i mean he just he he demands your attention. He comes on stage and or on screen, and he you just immediately want to see what he's gonna say, and he does it so well in this, and that's what really I think like helps balance that. Aside from Chell, which we will get to as well. <laughs> yes. Do we want to talk about Chell? Since let's talk about Chell. A natural segue. Yeah. We can get back to my notes sure. at any time. One of perhaps my biggest complaints has nothing to do with Chell, apart from the fact that she is the only woman who speaks in this movie setting that aside. Chell's great. I love her so much. 
Chell is fantastic. Chell has more agency in this movie than most Disney princesses get in their entire life. Yeah, and I I really appreciate the fact that she is so unabashed at sort of voicing what she wants and what she Mm -hmm. desires. And, like, her relationship with Tulio, I mean, every... This movie is only an hour and a half. Everything happens very suddenly, but, like, she, you know, decides, hey, you're hot, I want you, and is just like, I'm gonna, I will convince you, and, you know, everything's consensual, but it's like, I'm gonna, I, I, I know that there's something here, and I'm gonna be perfectly frank about the fact that that is something that I am into. It's one of my favorite lines in this, is the, I'm not sure if I trust you, Tulio says to her, and she's like, I'm not asking you to trust me, and he's just like, oh, okay, and it's just so, like, the it's the perfect line, because it is, she's just like, I never said that, like, I want you here right now, which... You could argue, like, the beginning is, like, okay, it's, so, like, they're both hot from one another, and, like, they do it, which leads to a, a very quick moment of her rising into frame from him <laughs> at an angle, which you could you argue were, is, you, like, huh, where did you just come from? Your, mm-hmm. the, your, your face was nowhere near his face. Uh-oh. So, once again, the non-Disney films that they can get away with. But they bring it back around in a way, and we'll get into this later, because it just, it they, they just... They start to go there, and they don't quite go there all the way, which is one of my only complaints, is that it's a really great line where, of course, they're going to leave, and, you know, you've got her and Miguel who have, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, her and Tulio who have had this, like, very fun physical relationship to this point, and, you know, as with anything like that, they're both going like, oh, you're interested? No, you're interested. No, you, you. And it's this great line he has that I forgot where he's like, I want you to want what you want. Yeah, and it's she's so... equally as like surprised, like, wait, what? And you're like, yeah, well, she, these said, are two she people. says, go on. And and they're both like two people who have been doing this for fun and now have kind of both stumbled into, wait, hold on. I think this is something a little bit more than this fun kind of thing we've been doing. And it's a really nice moment for them. And it is, it's one, like I said, it's one of my only complaints is that they hinted it, they kind of go there, they don't really go for it, they don't really address it later, different issue. There's not really time to... No, 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 but I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about how it's handled overall, yeah. which we'll get to, but but I thought that moment was such a great little growing moment where you're like, you actually see, this isn't, you know, your typical like, oh my god, you're so pretty, you're pretty, oh my god, I love you, let's get married. It's like, these are two humans who meet and are very sexually attracted to one another, who are resisting it because they know it's going to complicate things. They finally have no choice but to give I don't in. know if Chell resists it too much. <laughs> no, she doesn't jump in right away. No, they establish that, like, there's something up in the very first meeting. And it's like, mm, nope. And they hold off. And then later it starts to break out. Finally, they do it. And then they both have to confront the fact that it's like, hey, this has been fun. But, like, I actually have feelings for you now. And yeah. I want you to come back with me and I want to be with you. And it's like, it's a strangely realistic portrayal of a relationship in an animated movie, which you never see. Yeah, I, I'm so happy that you brought up that line, I want you to want what you want, because I wrote that down. It's just such a lovely and healthy sentiment. Mm-hmm. Like, that is that is what relationships should be. It's you want 
the other person to go after the things that they desire and you want to be there to support them. And it was just a really lovely line and surprisingly profound yeah. for this silly movie. <laughs> but I think it helps that you have, that you've established Chell as being this very take charge character just from the get go of like her basically getting the drop in them and saying like, okay, I'll help you out because I'm onto your scam and I'm, and I want in, I want to get out with y'all. And she has, like, that whole first scene with them is just so great where she's just calling them out. Hello. And then it just ends, as I said during the movie, with, and it helps by making her as thirsty as they are. Because oh, they're, yeah. they're a couple of thirsty dudes. And then, like, they're getting, like, undressed and into their god clothes. And they're like, you mind? And she's just sitting on a pillow like, nope. Nope, I'm here to enjoy the show. Until she, like, excuses herself very awkwardly. But, like, she, if they didn't ask her, she would just sit there and be like, y'all are getting naked. All right, I'll stay here for this. And I'm like, I love that. I love seeing that. Yeah, Chell's great. Chell also saves their asses so many times. Chell is our Misty. She's just Listen like... to Misty, listen to Trell. <laughs> just, okay, well, just in general, you need more women in these stories. And listen to all of them. Listen to the ladies. They they usually know what's up. Or Edward James Olmos, whoever is around. Yes. If Edward James Olmos ever gives you advice, you listen to it and you take it to heart. <laughs> because he probably knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And also knows that you're just a couple of dudes. He knows that you're not gods. I love that he's onto it. It's, the, it's this great moment he has with Miguel where he just is kind of like probing him of like, you got big plans? And is like, mm-hmm, well, you know, to air is human. And it's this nice little throwaway where they have this, like, silent acknowledgement of, like, I know. And I'm, I'm not, not going to say anything. I'm not going to rat you Because out I don't care. Yeah. That's all right. You've come here. You are you seem like nice guys. You've made the city very happy. You've made the kids happy. Everyone's upbeat about everything. And you're getting rid of this high priest who I just hate. Armand Asante. No scenery is left from Armand Asante. No. He even turns into a jaguar that to literally chews up things. <laughs> he is so good at he, this. He's so great. Let's talk about him. Yes. Let's talk about... um Over-the-top villain from the uh, get-go. The guy runs into a skull temple where he's got green mist around him. And it's like, I wonder who the bad guy is. I love this about... I, I mentioned this. How I love this about these movies around this time where it was like, there was no subtlety about who the villain was. You know? It's like, it's like you got things like this or things like Tarzan or... you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think of like, I don't know, Hercules where it's like, who's the bad guy? Who do you think? The very first frame is like, I'm a villain. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I, I love that. And also, yeah, just Ar Armin Asante just runs with this part so well. Yeah. It's just so wonderfully, maniacally deranged. And it's such a perfect counterbalance to having, like, like Eddie James almost as sort of, like, very dignified very understated approach very this like this this beautiful way that he has about it and then you have armin asante on the other side who's his like enemy of all this who's just going for it and is just chewing into all these words and is just soaking up all of these like he's basically a, a very intense evangelical who's just like we will go to god and it will be through blood and it's like yeah yeah and, he... and, and, and he's not joking about it either there's no like winkiness about it it's fun and you laugh because it's so intense, but for him, he's treating it totally seriously. 
and you buy it. You buy that this guy is both, you laugh, but you're like, I'm also terrified because this person is real. This is like not an exaggeration of someone who would literally be like, the Holy Lord has come to me. And he's just like yeah, yelling and like, and like oh, it's just, and I, oh and my I'm, God. I want to say it's evangelical Christianity that like people who are, you know, deep in it want to bring about the end times. We're talking about the evangelical side for all uh, of you. Yeah. Where it's like, that is the thing that they want. And it's like, this is just the, <laughs> the evangelical sect of whatever religion they worship <laughs> of we have to bring down the wrath of the gods because humanity is wicked and must be punished <laughs> oh boy and then they he eventually runs into cortez which as you said was just trump voters it basically the intense evangelical finally comes face to face with the trump voter and falls in love with them and wants to lead them to glory until it's not there, and the Trump voters like, well, screw you, we're gonna go off and do this, and it's like, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty apt. It's strangely uh, appropriate. Yeah. Diving back into my notes. Oh, MVP Jim Cummings, who voices at minimum four characters in this movie. At least four that at, we could hear. Yeah, that we heard and were certain that is Jim Cummings. He voices Cortez. That's his primary role, he, which he is always as usual terrifically menacing in mm -hmm. he voices a, a crewman on the ship who's basically just hondo from the clone wars yes hey, um, what do you want oh no and, you can have an apple and he voices kenobi he voices some random person who gets squished <laughs> by the the, the rock okay yeah by the rock jaguar and then he Plays like a messenger who runs up to uh, to deliver the news that uh, Zekel Khan is leading Cortez <laughs> to El Dorado, and it's like Jim Cummings is attacking Jim Cummings. <laughs> your Your Highness, Jim Cummings is coming, but you're Jim Cummings. I am, but I am attacking you now. Oh no! No, I'm an El Doradan Jim it's, Cummings. This uh, is Spanish uh, genocidal conqueror Jim Cummings. As you can see, we're a big Jim Cummings house here. We're big fans <laughs> and we just want to give a shout out to all the amazing work he's done. So, Jim, if you're listening to this, we just want to say amazing work as usual. And if you'd like to come on the podcast and talk, we'd love to have you. That's my pitch. <laughs> I wrote down Oh, Tulio, don't take gold that's not yours. That's what colonizers do. But he learns his lesson he, by the end. He does so, learn his cause lesson. Because we can't have him take any gold because that would be bad. No, he can't. Um, he sacrifices it all in order to save a group of people. Yes, he can't profit off of his, um, his which lie. I, which I think is the other thing that helps with this movie, that it's not like, I will protect you from these colonizers because I've realized that I should be your savior. Like, he doesn't want to do it. He's like, he literally is like, chief. Like, he's, he's like great whimper that he's like, mm, chief. Like, he doesn't want, and even after it happens, he's still like, where was so much gold? Like, he obviously wanted the gold, and he mm -hmm. knew it was the right thing to do, and he did it. But it wasn't like, a, I've learned my lesson, and, you know, people are more important than gold. He's still like, oh, my God, I could we, have been rich, and now I have nothing. I could have bought Spain. <laughs> and buy Spain. <laughs> And then we take the gold, then we row back to Spain and buy Spain. Well, um, I like it. Yeah, and I think that kind of 
I may perhaps be giving too much credit to the script writing in this film of like, well, why does he give up the gold to save this town apart? I mean, yes, it's established that he's not a, he's not a monster. Like he wants to save people, but it's like, why wouldn't you just say like, Hey, good luck fending them off. It's like to tie it back to the, you know, real world historical context of like, no, they are going to annihilate you. You don't, they have guns. They have diseases that you've never encountered. Like, because here's the goat and here's the bait. (laughs) um which again that's you know perhaps giving the script a little too much credit but i took it to be sort of an unspoken um reason for why they're like oh fuck we have to do something we have that is interesting we have to help you all hide i hadn't thought about that but that is really interesting because like y'all are gonna be Mm -hmm. dead if and you know as magnificent as this culture is it's just you are fighting you know people uh who have technology that you don't have that you've perhaps never seen before uh probably haven't seen before um and and, uh, i I had a thought what was i gonna say I don't know where I'm going with this, but I appreciate the intentional or not historical context that fed into this film. Um, Should we take a moment to talk about the moment of the movie that we both kind of rolled our eyes and went, okay, come on, which for me is arguably the only real large pitfall of this movie. And a lot of that could be due to when it was made that I would say if this was made today, they wouldn't encounter this. And I think it could be done a lot better. Should we do it? Do we want to talk about that? Talk to each other. This was the old common trope, whether it's to friends or lovers, something about this trope, which still does exist in movies for sure, but especially around the 90s and the 2000s, it was the whole thing of like, everything's going fine until, well, wait, we need to create conflict for our two people. And so usually in the romantic comedy, right, you have like the whole like, oh, well, you said this. I didn't know this about you. Oh, I don't want to see you anymore. And then they leave and then you're like, oh, they broke up. But like, they're going to get back together because they're going to run back together. And they're like, I'm so sorry. And it's like, okay, whatever. And it's the same thing here, but it's between Miguel and Tulio. And you just have these two characters who have developed a very great repartee throughout the movie where you can see, oh, I can see how these guys are friends because they just know each other so well. And they just get each other's like little things and they're like picking each other up until at one point later on in the movie, because Tulio and Shell want to be together, which means Miguel can't be their friend. It's, you know, that old dumb thing of like, you'd started dating someone means you can't have friends anymore. But they basically do that just to create conflict with these characters that have not had any of that conflict before. But now all of a sudden they're like, well, you know what? I don't like you anymore. Now I'm mad and I don't want to talk about it. And they just have a long extended thing of them both being petty and just not wanting to talk to one another until, you know, Cortez and Zuck O'Connor are coming out and then they go, okay, we need to come together and work together on this, which makes sense. So the fact that they come together so quickly for me makes it for this whole dumb conflict they have is not even necessary. It doesn't go anywhere. No, it really it, doesn't. It literally just like is it is repaired right away, which for me, I... To speak about how it could have been done better and to go back to the song of the Friends Never Say Goodbye, which is a very lovely song. But, you know, it's featured in this sequence of them both being like, you know, kind of just petty and like kind of sneering at one another and this whole thing. And I'm like, wouldn't it have been so much better? Because the truth of it is you have one person who wants to leave and the other person who wants to stay. Now, 
They're both very good friends. That in and of itself is dramatic because they want to stick together, but also one wants one thing, one wants the other. That could have been such a lovely thing of them not being at odds with one another, but literally just kind of looking at one another in a longing way of like, wait, am I like, am I really leaving and you're staying? Like, is that it? Yeah. And just having this moment of like, I guess this is the end of the road. And it could have been such a really beautiful moment for them of maybe not wanting to talk about it because it was too difficult or too sad and they didn't want to do it. But still, when you have the friends never say goodbye moment there, that speaks to itself in a moment of like, maybe they try to say goodbye to one another, but that's too difficult and they can't do it. They'd much rather leave and not deal with that as opposed to facing up to that. That makes that song so much sadder because you realize they do love each other. They do want to be friends. They do want to travel around together, but they've hit this impasse where one wants one thing, one wants the other. And that's okay. They respect that, but it still makes it sad that it's like, I want you to want what you want, but it means that we can't be together. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's a really sad thing. And that would have been such a lovely moment that I think if, if you had played something up in that way, it would have lifted this film to an even better place. Yeah, I, it's just, it's manufactured drama that really feels like it's there to fill some time before, you know, before the, the climax starts to happen and we get into sort of the, the final stretch uh, that carries us to the end of the movie. Um, yeah, it was just like, ugh, just talk to each other. I I hate misoverheard oh, conversations. It's just, and it's, if you it's have the, the length of relationship and the kind of camaraderie that you have established that these characters have between the two of them, why wouldn't you just talk about it where it's like, oh, one, like, misunderstood or... Uh, one misunderstood thing or something that was heard out of context or was only partially heard um that's gonna drive a wedge between you all like i i it's yeah that was really the one part where I was especially like, when you've <sighs> developed that they're so close and that they wouldn't let something like this drive them apart and then you do feels very out of character but i think it would have been a nice moment that i feel nowadays um filmmakers are more open to showing like you know, it's okay that two male friends can show affection for one another and just genuinely be like, hey, I love you and I'm going to miss you if you leave. Like, that's an okay thing to show because it's a very realistic thing, you know? People people have that reaction. You don't need to have them get petty and weird over something dumb just for the sake of drama. So, but, you know, that is emblematic of this was made in 2000, so that was the thing when that was more of a thing there, so... It's largely my only big complaint with this movie, and it's a small moment, but by changing it, that really could have, I think, helped a lot. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about how this being a DreamWorks movie and how there are some things that Disney would never try or isn't really typical of what you see in those films. You can't However, give head in Disney. <laughs> no, you definitely can't. However, you still cannot... Have your heroes kill the villain. It is going to be a, yet another situation of a rock falling out from underneath the feet of the villain and falling to their, what is assumed to be death. But you can't have the villain casually murdering his henchmen. Yes. The villain is allowed to murder. There can be casual murder where the villain is concerned. But Casual not, murder is accepted here. But not with our heroes. 
Yeah, there are a couple of con men, but they don't want to actually hurt anyone. <laughs> no, I suppose not. But that was... There are some things you just can't do. <laughs> there are some things money can't buy. Unless it's Mulan, but that's a war movie, so... Well, yeah, Mulan has more kills racked up, though, on her record than I think most people do overall. So yeah. <laughs> go Mulan. We're, Mul bi yeah. we're, we're big Mulan fans here as well. Yeah. Um, Mulan is the the, the original, not not the remake. Yeah, we have, not, we have not seen the remake. I don't. I don't particularly yeah. want to. Yeah, I've heard some yeah. mixed things but both the about the movie and... Is, but the original is great. Yeah. And, We're um, big fans. And that is the one exception to the hero cannot kill the antagonist. Where the hero can kill everyone. Everyone. I don't know that there's much more to say about that particular point. I was just like, yep, that's... Um, there's lots of um, architecture that breaks at opportune moments during those pivotal scenes of like, oh no. sex architecture, yeah. <laughs> it's very appropriate. Yeah, those giant pillars, which I love that the chief holds on to like four ropes and manages to hold it temporarily i'm like i mean he's he's got muscle i'm not surprised but yeah. man he's he he did not skip like, any days of he's the gym. just such a mountain of a man and i was like i i got <sighs> this i can't stop it but i can slow it down <laughs> good good architecture moments for sure i just wonder how they're gonna get to spain <laughs> on that actually because i did have something on there i yes. saw this i'm not gonna bog you all down with trivia because they here. like as uh, james is looking something up right now but i was just like it gets to the end of the movie and it's like yay they they block the entrance uh el dorado is safe from the colonizing invaders but i'm like that was their boat to get home how are, what are they going to do now i guess they have chell with them who knows the area and once again, Chell is there to save their asses. And they and they set it up for a sequel with the whole, we don't have a map, we don't have a plan. Well, that's what makes it interesting. So you're like, well, they're off on their, you know, off for another crazy, wacky adventure, basically. Which, if any movies deserve sequels, this movie would, because it is built to be an anthology series of, like, The Road to fill in the blank. Yeah. And it would be this host of characters we know we've gotten to know, and we like them, and we want to follow them. And you want to see where they're going to end up next. And I saw this. It said, a series of sequels featuring Miguel, Tulio, Chell, Altivo, and even the Armadillo going after other legends about gold was planned. But the but the disappointing box office results meant that it was immediately canceled. Which is unfortunate. Which is very unfortunate. So I, it did cause me to have to look up the box office for this, and it was not particularly kind i will say i think this movie has received more of a cult following now and for folks like us who grew up with this that have rediscovered it and are big fans of it i will defend this movie till the day i die but for all of you stat heads out there this was made on a 95 million dollar budget which is not cheap in and of itself but especially in the year 2000 for a 2d animated film um it took in 50 million domestic 76 worldwide now for those of you that aren't aware in order for a movie to make a profit it has to make more than its budget and to be considered a success it has to make double its budget so this finished with less than it than it cost to make which is not good that does designate it as a bomb so this movie did not do well when it was released initially hence canceling all the sequels which is very unfortunate because i feel 
we talked about a lot of things that worked here. We talked about things that like maybe like, oh, they could improve upon that. And maybe with sequels, we could see an improvement. We could see a development of characters here. These are a group of characters that I would want to see in future movies. This wouldn't feel as forced as like, you know, where say something like Shrek got to where after two movies, it was like, and now they're in this situation and you're like, I don't care anymore. So, but with these people, I feel like we would follow them and we'd be interested and they could develop in a way that would be much better than most animated movies could do. Mm -hmm. If anybody had sirens on their background sound bingo card, um, check that off. We will be posting that bingo card soon on our social media. So be sure to find that (laughs) and fill it in. Because there are plenty of sirens outside right now. There's just one other thing that I would you would you agree with that would you want to see sequels with these characters yes okay yes i would i want to bring up just one quick little point before we get into our revised grades and sign off uh for the evening you had mentioned you had brought up in passing um like pocahontas as an example of like how they how something could have gone a different way i I do appreciate just how, and maybe this wasn't ballsy, maybe this was just because they were strapped for time and didn't have any ideas, but it's just, yeah, everybody speaks the same language. There was no, (laughs) there was no weird magic to make them understand. It's just like, no, they show up and everyone can understand each other perfectly. It's fine. (laughs) It was like, how are they going to do this? Because I didn't think about it. Until they obviously get to El Dorado, and then it's just like someone starts. I think it's Zekel Khan starts talking like to greet and welcome Tulio and Miguel, and it's just oh they understand and okay everyone everyone's peachy keen everyone's good. You don't want tribute. <laughs> no, we we want tribute. We can't. Oh yeah, we're... and like I this was another thought that I had. Um, we're gonna wrap this up soon. I promise. We could just quote this movie um, all night. But like if. If gold is so prevalent in El Dorado that it like everything is made out of it, then what is the value of gold? And like is, you know, to you know, a couple of Spaniards, like you know, people from Europe who like the the whole thing that or one of the many things of why, you know, Spain went to the quote new world was to find gold and to find resources. So like that's great for them, but like natives of El Dorado are offering up gold as tribute but if they have so much of it what is it where I don't know I'm just I'm getting into the weeds here I feel like it is like it it is a tribute because maybe it's just because it's it, it's very shiny it's very pretty it, it it signifies something but it doesn't signify the monetary value maybe that the Spaniards put on it and if it does they are living in a society where like this does not matter to us this monetary value means nothing to us so we could throw it to our God, and that's that. Yeah. I, I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, I don't have a point to that. I just, that was a thought that crossed my mind. I did want to wrap up on um, a part of our Lion King dream team on this. Hans Zimmer is brought on to do the score, which I could tell right away because for any of you hardcore Hans Zimmer fans out there, you will listen to this movie. You will hear so many Pirates of the Caribbean motifs getting played <laughs> throughout that you'll go, wait, what? And for those of you that know, Hans Zimmer likes to repeat his motifs a lot. I have no problem with that. They're good motifs, so it's fine by me. But you'll hear it and go, oh, that's right. And also, deep dive on that, Cortez's theme is Hans Zimmer's reworking of a motif from a classical piece based on the traditional requiem of Desiree, which you will all know mostly from the main title of 
The Shining. It's a very dark, ominous-sounding thing, and it's just a few notes that are very terrifying-sounding. And I, I just thought that was really cool that he did that. Anywho, that's all I've got. Shall we give our revised grades? Cole, what is your revised grade? I think I'm actually going to keep it at a B plus for really the 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 reason I'm not bumping it up to somewhere in the A category as much as I really enjoyed this movie and do still enjoy it is for the reasons that we've sort of talked about of like the use of the music, like the the application of the music as great as it is on its own. And just like the kind of like nitpicky, like kind of plot threads and mostly being the the misunderstanding and the the tiff that kind of comes out of not nowhere, but it comes from this very minor, what seems to be this very minor thing between Tulio and Miguel that kind of took me out of it just a little bit of like, oh, we're doing this, but it's, the cast is so great. It is so quick and so funny and such a great time. And yeah, I'm going to leave it at a resounding B plus for The Road to El Dorado. Nice. Uh, I started at an A+. I'm going to drop it to an A-. It still is in the A's for me. Overall, uh, I think the pros do outweigh the cons. The cons being, as you mentioned, some of the music is kind of hit and miss. Uh, the tiff, the weird lover's quarrel between the friends is a little a little forced. It doesn't go anywhere. You could take it out. It wouldn't matter. So those little little things, I think, do drop it a little bit, but... I think that the the character voices across the board, Kevin Klein, Kenneth Branagh, Rosa Perez, Edward James Olmos, Norman Asante, Jim Cummings are all fantastic. I think the animation is both very funny and fluid in a comic, kind of like a Looney Tunes style, while also conveying really beautiful imagery and beautiful colors in animation once they get to the city is really wonderfully done the jokes are quippy they're great they're still immensely quotable the characters relationships feel much more realistic than you get usually in a film and they're they get a little a little raunchy which i'm always a fan <laughs> of um so i think that the pros do outweigh the cons but i will drop it down to an a minus for me all right so pretty close a b plus and an a minus there you have it folks um we wholeheartedly recommend that you watch this movie it's a great time please do Please it's, do. It's available on Peacock mm-hmm. for free. Um, There's only one ad that pops up, too. Yep. Uh, that is where we watched it. And, yeah, I think that's all that we have for you tonight, uh, everybody. You can, if you want to follow the show uh, you on social media, you can find us at or on Instagram and Twitter at WhatAMoviePod. Uh, that is for both of those platforms. You can find me, Nicole Knutson, at Nicole Knutson16 on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the real J Ferrero. That's real with two E's. Ferrero as in the chocolate. No, I'm not related. <laughs> I wish I was. And uh, if you enjoy the show, follow us, subscribe, depending on the um, podcasting platform that you use to listen uh leave us a review and a rating five stars would be awesome and if you tune in next week you can hear us as we delve into our next movie which will take us to space 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 what is it i can't tell you
You'll have to <laughs> wait and find out. All right, everyone. It is nighttime for us, so good night. And good luck. Good night, everyone. I'm James Ferrero. I'm Nicole Knudsen. <laughs> and what? Uh, what? And what, what a, a movie. movie! I almost forgot our sign off. It's the name of our podcast. I we know. have to sign off with it, otherwise the sponsors will drop us. What sponsors? Oh, 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 oh,